0: You're listening to an ACA Podcast. Hi, my name is Lisa Walp and I'm one of the co-curators of the exhibition Scarce Missile Park. This conversation is part of a series associated with the exhibition, which is on at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne from the 27th of March until the 14th of June. And then it travels to the Institute of Modern Art in Brisbane from the 17th of July until the 18th of September. The four conversations in this series take a focused look at key ideas and forms in Yuani's Scarces, glass, family, architecture and memorials. Reflecting on her masterful use of glass, we hear Yuani in conversation with glass artist, Crystal Britcher and Lisa Slade, the Assistant Director at the Art Gallery of South Australia. We also hear from Yuani's long-term collaborators including artist Lisa Radford, who will touch on their ongoing memorialisation project known as Concrete Archives. Architect and writer, Lewis Anderson Mokak, will be chatting to fellow architects, Edition Office and Mikal Roderick, who have both worked with Yawani to achieve incredible large-scale projects, including the new commission Missile Park, which gives this exhibition its title. You will hear from me, Lisa Walp, in conversation with National Gallery of Victoria's curator Hannah Presley as we speak about the role of family and archives in Yoani's practice. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that names of people who have passed may be mentioned in these conversations. To hear more from ACCA, please subscribe to the ACCA podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and sign up to ACCA's newsletter at ACCA.melbourne.
1: I guess um, before we even begin to come into conversation with one another, um, I think um, one of the first things I'd like to do is acknowledge the fact that um, we're right now on, on First Nations ground on Aboriginal land and, and the fact that um, that something's happened here and, and something continues to happen um, and that this country has, or countries, um, has created um, colonial forces and institutions and strategies to make Indigenous people invisible. And so whenever I'm doing this acknowledgement, I. I I always want to acknowledge that that something has happened and, and something continues to happen to our brothers and sisters and and elders and future generations, um, whom were here before. A lot of us have arrived, and so um, as we proceed in this conversation, I'd I'd like to ask um, for for everyone within um, this space to 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 keep that in mind and and and. Um, also remember your ancestors as well, as I remember mine. Um, I'm a Jugan man from West Kimberley. Um, my, my grandmother's name is Esme Nasser, and my great-grandmother's name, who's also a part of the Jugan matriarch, is Crescentia Carter, and my great-great-grandmother's name is Philomena Carter. Um and they're all strong Jugan women who who come from um a place very far away from um, where I'm currently residing, which is on Yagar and Turibo lands, um which is in so called Brisbane. Um and also would like to pay my respects to to their elders and and, and these sacred lands here. Yeah, I'm uh I guess you know, I, I, I still a young person. Um, I think I'll be a young person for a while, but you know, in terms of um, my my practice, um, 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 you know, taking it taking it fairly slowly in terms of um, finishing my my architectural studies. I'm in in my masters now at RMIT, um, but I guess you know, living between two worlds and and um, you know, having to centre um, learnings, you know, within our, our, our cultural responsibilities as well as our tertiary responsibilities, um, I'm in the process of, of heading back back up to my ancestral lands and, and that's something that I'm centering for this year in order to, um, yeah, to attain and, and more knowledge and, and connect to my, my people after after quite a quite a difficult and challenging last year, and then coming back to to finish my studies in in Nam in Melbourne, um, but outside of that, I'm also um, a member of the First Nations Advisory Working Group um, within the Australian Institute of Architects, which has been the inaugural um, coming together of, of of First Nations leaders within. The practice of architecture and the built environment, um, and yeah, we're, we're doing a lot of work within uh, reform and, and advocacy work, which um, will have a lot of flow-on effects. And um, there's there's a lot of a lot that's happening within the space that that I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing what the byproducts and and the outcomes. Of um, centering and embedding First Nations voices into a profession that that hasn't necessarily done that um, to date, and what the what the intergenerational impacts of that can be um, will will be telling for the future. So yeah, um, that's a little bit about me. I'm kind of for myself. I'm I, I think. I, you know, for me, I I don't identify myself through the profession that I do. Um, but in, in, for myself, it's, it's not a profession for me. This, this is not something I do for income, but more something I do to, to survive and thrive and it's a personal journey and responsibility to, um, to align to my cultural values of protecting country. And align my cultural values and ethics of um, of really um, creating a, a space where truth-telling can occur um, and, and and more so where justice and healing can occur and I think architecture is a, a very um, intersectional space for those conversations to happen um, in terms of you know a, a practice that is inextricably Tied to stolen land and inextricably tied to indigenous sovereignty, um, and how how that relationship and role as an architect um, comes into play and the roles and responsibilities of the practice um, in in navigating these these very tricky but real conversations to have um, I, I, yeah that's that's really why i'm why I'm here um, anyway. Enough, enough um, of an intro. Um, I'll pass it on to to Kim if if you'd like to introduce yourself.
2: Thanks, Louis. Um, well, my name is Kim Bridgeland. Um, I'm the director of Edition Office Architects, um, and I might just leave it there and, and just let maybe um, the conversation flow. And i I, I hope that um, the conversation might describe who I am a little bit more than. <laughs> me trying to squeeze it out here. Um.
3: Yep, don't worry. Um, I'll introduce myself then. Uh, my name is Mikhail Roderick. Um, uh, I guess on a daily basis, I'm a project architect at a company called Woodmarsh um, that are based here in um, in Melbourne. Uh, but the capacity that I'm in here today is more of, a, um, I guess, the work that I do on my own, which is my own practice as a um, collaborator and facilitator for uh, artists who largely sort of, um, I guess, have approached me in the past, uh, when their work gets to a certain scale or complexity or, um, yeah, there's a number of conditions that, uh, they need assistance with, um, or I might be of some use And I guess, Yuani sort of flexes into that, uh, because she's been the one of my longest clients, I've known her for over eight years, both as a friend and a collaborator. So I guess that's sort of, yeah, me.
2: Um, Hey, Louie, there was a couple of things in your introduction
3: um, that
2: I I think are are really important things to start this conversation off with. Um, And one is invisibility or visibility and invisibility of um, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander or First Nations people um, in general. Um, But, you know, potentially as we talk about them in relationship to architecture, Um, and then I suppose that sectionality of, um, a lot of these, I guess this theme, um, and how it resolves around architecture in, in regards to truth-telling, um, um, I suppose the conversation probably needs to start with Ioani, um, and her role in, um, making profound acts of visibility through her work. uh, probably just commenting on the show that's, you know, behind us or in this gallery here at Akka Missile Park. Um, it's it's something that I've, you know, I'm a big fanboy, I suppose, of money I suspect we all are in this room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and that's due to, you know, her role as being a legend. Um, <laughs> but also her her extraordinary ability with um, incredibly subtle means of using kind of, um, I guess, her, her, her her typical medium of glass blowing um, but increasingly her architectural medium um, through very careful moves to draw in deep emotional and historical resonance but really the have fun- the, the funda- fundamental medium or foundational medium of her work is drawing in histories that are have been buried within Australian histories or Australian politics and making, um, deep traumas of this nation's past mm-hmm. profoundly visible in the moment you encounter her work. Um, and, and for me, that's something I'd like to maybe bring forward in this conversation. Um, I know that the, the new pieces that were commissioned in Gallery one, there's those three pavilions, uh, Missile Park, um, three architectural pavilions, I, I guess describing them for this podcast. There are three tin sheds, each of them with a slightly different reform referencing um you know the different archetypes of military or industrial sheds out in the woomera or out in the landscape um each one having its own interior pop marked with bullet or nail holes um, and there's one that you enter um and there's um wow there's a there's a profound emotional response in being there in the the um the I guess, the fragility or innocence of uh, Indigenous children who have been um, not brought into this world through the um, through the testing or through the radioactivity um, from the uh, as a legacy of, um, you know, so much that you only works on is so profoundly brought into the present moment uh, so that invisible is brought, um, like, yeah, yeah. Um, into it, into the present moment, it's, it's brought forward um, and therefore it's re- required to be dealt with um, uh, in a way that, um, you know, I, I think that's her, both as an artist, but also as a political uh, figure. Um, the conversations that this nation needs to have relies upon these stories being visible and so often they're buried in reports or, you know, report after report and, and they're buried in time passing. Um, and so maybe i'm spiraling around this topic <clears throat> of invisibility and presence um, and the, the extraordinarily uncanny ability you only has to bring that to the foreground and to make those um, that invisibility unmissable in the you know in a real life human you know the experience of the present moment um i'm, I'm really interested in kind of hearing your own responses Mikhail and Louis, on um on how you're affected by that, or your response to you know her work in relation to visibility or invisibility?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know in terms of the way in which um, you know I, th- I think there's a reoccurring theme within Yuani's work around um, around memory and and revealing memory and this idea of what is what is memorialized, what is remembered, what is forgotten, what is denied, what, what memory is taken and and perpetuated towards a a certain memory that that might only tell one side or might tell a falsity um and and, and not have truth to the matter i think um you know in terms of Ioannis' work it's it's really connected to her family her own stories and and in in a in a in a very um Familiar way, but like you said, Kim, in a, in a very political way as well, where it di- displaces this objecthood of, of of monument of ethnographic images of um, the, the the silence and the processes of denial and 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 reinserts it in a way that that is a decolonial act, but also a, a repatriation. Um, a way that memorialises her, her family and her lived experiences, and and the stories of her country, and creates a space for them to be remembered. Um, so I think it traverses a lot of different grounds. Something that's so personal, something that's so political, um, you know, and the, the the politics of it, the politics of memory. More broadly speaking, um, I think Australia is very good at forgetting the past. And um, you know, a, a willful amnesia where um, you know they're, they're very good at forgetting the past, but also very good at perpetuating the colonial memory that plays out and that supersedes any other voices of history. And how how an Aboriginal person, as well as a non-Aboriginal person, but I, I always um, start with centering our our experiences within within this space. How an Aboriginal person engages with that history, with that colonial history, it's a very difficult position to be in. And one that doesn't tell our stories and doesn't tell our lived experiences. Um, you know, when you look at the way that Australian cities, suburbs, regional centres, councils are replete with memorials to mostly U- European white men responsible for the murders of, of of countless Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on the colonial frontier. You know, that that is a noticeable um the 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 it's a I guess it's concocted in all these concentrations of of um heroism and of Creating these glorifications, where these these white men are, are are regarded as as the best colonizers, whose forceful nature, you know, was was one that didn't exude brutality but but exuded heroism. And 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 these these characters are men of principle and unblemished, men of integrity. Um, and the way in which Yawani, her her work, really counteracts these monuments and, and memory within um, within the Australian landscape at the moment, um, speaks to speaks to very um, like you said. There's a there's a fragility there. There's a darkness there. Um, but but like Yawani says, they they're, they're like time bombs, they're truth bombs that are that are disintegrating the disintegrating the the colonial walls. Um you know I haven't been down to to um Missile Park yet, but but I'm I'm gonna be down in Nam soon and I'm looking forward to entering that space where I, I was listening to Yoani's um Yarn with with Max and and how you know, once you close the doors within within the space, your your eyes take a moment to adjust, and and these fragile um, babies are revealed. These 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 fragile Aboriginal people, Aboriginal young people are are, are revealed, um, and that that moment of, of reflectivity, but also the moment of Intimacy and, um, you know, I think I think that that's a that's a common thing that plays out in terms of Ioani's work, but also the work that you've done um, in collaboration with Ioani, Kim. Um, before before I go on to that um, that incredible work that you've you've done with Uwani in absence, Mikhail, um, do. Do you do you do you want to speak to, to your your involvement with with Ioani over the years and and how that has taken place um, from its from the time it was seeded um, as well as what what those processes um, in terms of um, the relational processes with Iwani, how that has developed a practice for you um, that that may have um, may have shifted. Um, the ways in, in which you work um, in relation to to working with an Aboriginal artist.
3: Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, I first started working with Ioanni when I was still at Northern University, finishing up my master's, and um, a mutual friend uh, who was working at Diane Tanza put us in contact with each other because Ioanni needed a Perspex coffin made up and, um, my our mutual friend said, oh, you know, you've got the laser cutter at university. Do you reckon you could cut up a coffin for her? And I said, yeah, you know, sure, why not? Uh, I can do that. Uh, so met up with Ioani and I was in my share house in Carlton North and, you know, she would come meet me and we would sit in my, you know, messy living room and sort of have chats about, um, I guess, uh, stuff. And I was kind of a little bit overwhelmed at the time because, you know, she'd already been a pretty established artist and I, here I was kind of had no idea what I was doing most of the time. Um, but... Uh, I was, it struck me at first immediately from, you know, when I first met her, how I guess the dynamic was never, you know, here's exactly what I want and I'd like you to make it for me. It was a sort of, you know, I want to make a coffin. What do you think? Can we do it like that? What are your thoughts? So I guess from making that first co- coffin for, um, Blood on the Waddle, which is in the show, um, yeah, to now working on Missile Park with her, that, that relationship, I guess, that we've developed over the years has become really, I guess, it's, it's sometimes it catches even both her and I off because it can be quite intuitive. I guess we've worked with each other for so long that um, she, a lot of the time, Yuani approaches me with an image and sometimes it's just that, it's just a photo. And she'll say, you know, this is something I've been looking at. And a lot of the time, or well, for a lot of the cloud works, they've been photographs of the um, explosions in Maralinga um and uh yeah i guess the conversation will start from the image which is you know one of the few records of um those horrific events that took place uh and i guess it's sort of when we went to maralinga together on that trip um before we we did thunder rating poison um i told a few people that i was going and no one had most of the people that i i didn't grow up in australia i grew up um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, so. I didn't go to school here and I just assumed that everyone knew what Maralinga was and where it was and what happened and no one had any idea. I had no, not a single person even knew what it was. And I think it's no surprise that, you know, in the years that followed, you know, there's a show on Maralinga now. And I think, um, you know, it's probably maybe singularly Yuani, possibly maybe a few other artists in that conversation that's taking place because of her work. And, you know, again, it goes back to visibility and her ability to, I guess, you know, kind of, command glass to truly kind of I guess you know um use it up to as a mirror to ourselves in a way you know like her work does but then also you know kind of provide us with that sort of transparency um but yeah it starts off with photos and um uh you know we'll trace over them I'll kind of start to make a shape in the computer and um through lots of umming and ahhing and twisting and pulling Yuani has an ability to kind of she she knows she knows when it's it, because I'll just sit there tweaking around in Rhino, which is the program that we use to kind of, you know, I have I have a I have a, a glass shape in in the computer that I just use as my default sort of block. And, you know, we just multiply it by, you know, depending. I'll ask her how many, how many yams we're using this time and she'll say, you know, thousand. So I'll get a thousand. There's the bubble, then it starts to take shape and it gets sort of stitched around to form. Um I guess some kind of a thing that takes the photograph which is the only record and i guess turns it into something that you can actually inhabit and occupy and walk around and then sort of live in again which i think is um a really yeah really incredible ability she has to take to sort of start from a memory or a photo and turn into something that i guess you know we can uh understand in ways that, you know, you simply couldn't unless you, uh, um, were there to some extent, um, or directly affected. So I guess, yeah, specifically for Missile Park, um, uh, I think the process was, it was an interesting one because we, we ended up in a, in a, at a spot with the way the actual, um, three forms and the way they, present themselves the the patina the color the shape they all originally started off in a very different direction uh very very different they materially they were meant to be a you know glossy and shiny and there was all these uh, we yeah the direction that we ended up in was very different to the direction we started off in, and it's funny because i guess in all the time that i've worked with you arnie a lot of the time she ends up having some aspect of her work that has a found a found element to it or something that has a memory or a history that already exists um with blood on the Waddle, which is um the the coffin based work the the little bits of um, the brackets that hold it together are actually parts from a trailer that um the guy who was getting the laser laser cutting done happened to have around and you know uh it, they worked perfectly you just had to bend them to the right angle and you know, now they're there. And again, with um, Missile Park now, we started off with, you know, new materials and I guess kind of working with, um, uh, not not necessarily materials like the ones we ended up in, which, you know, are recycled uh, elements that have their own memory. We didn't need to artificially culture holes in the sheet because they already had their memory that they would recorded from their various past lives. So, um yeah there's i guess there's always an element of uh that history that comes through and is used in a way that um it doesn't always come up it doesn't i don't i don't think people i don't think i would necessarily pick up on immediately you know when she first briefed me on the on on what she wanted to do i didn't think let's use you know recycle sheet i think we started off in a different direction and we ended up, I think where we were always going to end up and to some extent, um, because of her work is so singularly hers. Um, but yeah,
2: hmm. I mean, I don't know how,
3: how you found working with her in absence and what that process was like. Um, yeah, you know.
2: look, it's a different process and it's, and it's purely because, you know, um, different combination of people yeah. and yeah. Um, parts. Um, be- before I go into that, um, yeah, it, you there's a really particular use of Yuani's, or you know, of Yuani's use of um, found elements. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of couldn't help meditating on that or thinking of that while you're talking um, around how that so often attenuates the work that she makes um, in that um, the, you know, the glass objects are so often kind of um, uh, bush fruit or yams mm-hmm. or desert plums. Um, and I and I love them so much because they're literally what they are. They're not being anything else, and yet they also are human. Their bodies, their souls. Mm. They they um, become these gateways. But when they're aligned to these found objects, uh, all of a sudden there's this kind of um, narrative, this powerful, I almost mean, narrative e- explosion where that um, you get brought into. I guess the the deep empathetic response you have with the the human stories um or the empathetic stories in those glass objects becomes clarified with the medicinal qualities or the the profound sense of absence and loss um that those found objects have often those found objects have a sense of um a past that is not present and when they're pulled into alignment with um these glass objects that that um that past which is not present it becomes aching um it's a and it's amazing use of um, that careful use of hers of picking up the right found objects and mm. um, and not being bombarded or, or overloaded or overpowered by the narrative of that object, almost using that object as this kind of, you know, narrative catalyst. It's, you know, it's mm. really, um, mm. you know, she does have a touch or a knack mm. for knowing when it's right uh, and knowing when it's, you know, too much, mm. you know, it's not, it's never too much or not enough. It's always just that right. Yeah, balance. that's right.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, But the the relationship we had with um, in absence was, um, um, I suppose, a different one in that we reached out to her. There was an architectural uh, commission for the NGV, and um, it's a very nationally public um, architectural uh, commission, and we wanted, or we felt that um, it had a purpose beyond architecture, looking at architecture, or architects looking at architecture. Mm We felt that the architecture had a purpose to engage in a national conversation Um, and uh, so for that reason and also just, you know, wanting to find a way to, um, you know, uh, force a friendship with Ioani, got a number, you know, contacted her through uh, a mutual friend and she reached back out to us and we just started... It was a dialogue, and because we didn't know each other, it, it was a dialogue of just conversation, of we just talking and building trust and building, um, slowly building a level of that mutual trust and respect. And and from that point, once that was there, the the conversation around design could happen, or the or the conversation around co-creation could happen. But there was a this kind of um you know, finding that relationship first. Um but the, the purpose of that work was um of, you know, making making a past present and making something that uh, has very much been an invisible part of this nation's story very, very visible, Uh, not as a memorial, but um, more as a, you know, potentially a statement of defiance, a a statement of no matter how much... um, uh, how many attempts there have been to eradicate or to change the narrative, that, narr- that narrative is still here and that um, remembrance of it and that continuation of it and that continuation of, um, you know, First Nations, are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, culture is thriving and, and living in this country and it hasn't been able to be eradicated no matter, uh, despite the enormous attempt at doing that. Um, and the other part of that was, the other part of the work, apart from this kind of um, statement of... Um, of, of um, being in the world and in the moment and therefore um, not being denied um, was the invitation for a conversation, both in terms of the immediacy of being in the room or in the pavilion and eliciting a dialogue with yourself um, with the individuals in that space, eliciting a dialogue with country, an invitation to watch and listen and slow down and just you know be aware of your... Um, encounter with the present moment um, in, in that place. Um, and there was an invitation, there's was a, certainly an implied conversation between um, non-Indigenous and Indigenous, indigenous um, voices. Um, but there was a conversation back, like uh, um, I guess we see um, in our office architecture being, um, playing a very significant role in nation story and dialogue at that national level. Um, um, and it's very rare that um, buildings um, at all in Australia carry a First Nations voice and, and um, bring forward a First Nations lived experience. And therefore, so often, um, I guess, the, the narrative of what cultural, what history is given credibility um, or significance. Is that of who built it first, and typically that is, you know, that is the colonial legacy, that is a Western legacy, that's you know, a white male legacy mostly, mm-hmm. um, and it's a very um, sort of biased perspective on um, on who is given right to have that voice um, and what voices are kind of not necessarily allowed or historically not allowed to you know, be in that um, you know be in that forum. Um, so I suppose all of those are the, the conversations and um, and that you know uh, that same back and forth that same kind of um, constant dialogue um, is uh, I suppose was the foundational element of that relationship with Yawani in terms of actualizing and physicalizing that work. I think, Louis, um, I'm going to come back to you and and the, I'm going to just bring that back around to Yawani and her work in that um, um that that ability to Leave the cerebral until leave the intellectual engagement with the work as the second part, and the first part is that kind of affective, emotional response that you can't um, you can't filter out. I think the strength of Ullman's work is that it gets to you before you can put your defences up. <laughs> mm-hmm. It um, it um, it brings you in it it brings you into its space before you're ready to be brought into that space in that you have an emotional response to it. And I, and I, and that's what I, and that's what I think is so profoundly important in her work and also the most, that gives it the political edge because as soon as you have skin in the game, as soon as you have an emotion, emotional response and you and you can't look away, you don't have a choice but to respond. And you, and, and at that point you can engage in the, um, you know the 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 conceptual layers and the political layers of the work uh but once she's sunk her teeth into you you can't pull out (laughs) you can't you can't hide and kind of run away and not engage with the issue you're you're forced into it or you're forced into having a conversation with yourself about um you know you need to actively choose to walk away from that invitation and that takes you know um and that's a choice you make but um she's making you She's making you choose. Um, And so often we were talking about before the visibility or invisibility of um, uh, a profoundly traumatic um, path to what we see as contemporary Australia. Um, And so often the narratives of that past have been concealed from us. um, And very actively, there's a a level of propaganda in terms of the virtue of of Australia's contemporary history. Um, and the and the these these difficult narratives have been concealed, and it's so easy to overlook them until people like you, Arnie, um make that choice impossible. Um, you need to engage with them, or, or you need to engage with your
3: choice to look away.
2: Um, there's is... also
3: there's also that element of her work, I guess, in the fact that it's it looks so you know beautiful. Mm. It's high. It's photographic. It's photogenic, um, and it doesn't necessarily at first glance, give you much in terms of, you know, the depth of it until you really start to process it. And as you are saying, digest it and you realize, I guess, you know, the the narrative that, and the storytelling that comes through a work, which uh, can be consumed by a child who can't speak yet, mm. in the sense that, you know, some of the hanging works that she's done, um, or, you know, a young, um, young person who doesn't necessarily have the capacity to i guess fully acknowledge um i guess the, the sort of the themes that she works with all the way up to you know people who are capable of doing that but you know choose to look away it's a lot harder to look away when it's you know just so good looking i guess in a way if you want to put it that way
2: yeah it's like um, it's like quicksand you that's can, right you can kind of walk up to yeah. the edge, and before you know you
3: slipped in <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. i think it's interesting talking um i guess listening to you talk about the work that you do with dan boyd and you know i guess I, as architects when not all buildings necessarily need to have uh, a story to tell. Um, mm-hmm. The best ones, I think, you know, sometimes do that. They usually have um, something more than just built form. There's more to them than what they're made out of. Um, and, you know, yourself and Aaron and, you know, anyone who's lucky enough to work with First Nations and Indigenous artists like Yulani, Dan, you know, Jonathan Jones, a number of people, I guess, who collaborated with architects, that ability to, I guess... Um, weave through not just a narrative that, you know, is an imagined one or, you know, one based on, I guess, you know, sort of Western modes of uh, culture, but something that meaningfully engages with the uh, country, but also, I guess, adds a, a dimension. I think as architects, we're, you know, we're sort of trying to imbue the work we do with meaning. Sometimes it's sort of always there. Sometimes you really have to look for it and justify it to yourself. But, you know, um, And, but I mean, this is, and this is serious work. It's not necessarily, you know, work you do for fun as such, but, um, there is, I guess there's obviously the, the difference it's not lost on me at least anyway, you know, the work we do generally, you know, for clients and then the work we do in this space and it almost makes it, I kind of wonder whether, you know, be, um, is incredibly valuable to the industry as a whole to really sort of start to understand and engage with um, artists and culture and find ways to imbue the built environment mm. that we uh, have a responsibility all the time to construct with uh, narratives and stories that, you know, are not our own, but uh, perhaps some that we can, you know, help bring to light in some way. And I guess someone like you, Ani, you know, is at least for my myself it, knowing her pretty much as long as I've been working as an architect as well. Um, that understanding of, you know, the fact that, uh, I guess there's, there's, there's architecture and then there's, um, uh, there's architecture with meaning, or I guess architecture that can, tri- can contribute positively, mm. uh, um, yeah, to, a, you know, to, to us.
2: Um, and I think the um, yeah, there, there's, um, there's uh, there's kind of active these works of active discourse um, uh, that, that pop up um, but I think the they um, I think you mentioned this earlier Louis, that um uh, I guess there's a there's a requirement for a centering of First Nations voice within the built environment or within the the national story narrative um, but the built environment is, is I think a really important one because it legitimizes and and um, it it lends credibility and it lends a value judgment on whose stories are included um, and and validated um, within our story um, but the more we have First Nations voice not as not on the fringe of our national conversation but right in the center of our national conversation the, um, it allows then um, people to you know, um, gain an awareness of that conversation who, um, who you know, may be challenged or, or may be um, uh, just ignorant of, of the layers um, that are going on there. Um, and so it's a, there, there's, an, there's an incredibly acute need um, to just have more dialogue um, uh, or facilitate more First Nations voice um, into the middle of the room um, to allow more response uh, and more agency, um, you know, socially and politically. Um, and, the, and it's not for the sake of having you know more buildings. Uh, it's for the sake of having uh, more people uh, engaging with an, an appropriately empathetic response to First Nations historical and First Nations contemporary needs, um, so that we can resolve issues like you know First Nations deaths in custody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they, these are uh, they're not separated issues. Allowing um, voice to come forward. And allowing legitimacy uh, to come forward, um, you know, um, uh, in in the built environment or our, our, in architecture, is absolutely part of the same, um, re- you know, requirement to solve, um, you know, so many uh, a- acute, um, I guess, health and political and social justice issues, because um, the more exposure we have to the need and to the spe- specificity um, of um, I don't know the, the conversation of country and the conversation of then, uh, the loss that I think a lot of non-indigenous people still don't understand um, the brutality and the loss of the, the genocidal act that was colonization in Australia uh, and that's because it's something they've never been required to engage with um, and so we, the more we reason to that conversation the more we, the more we enable um, you know the to, this total community uh, and certainly our political community to actually make some tangible You know changes in that space. Um, uh, uh, Sorry, you keep
0: going.
2: (laughs) Uh, I um, I feel like I just kind of went into. um, I'll take that as a. I'll take it as a comment mode, and just kind of um, when um, um, kind of uh, you know I don't know. Just making statements in the conversation. Uh, rather than engaging in the conversation and the back and forth, um, and uh, I just I just want to keep kind of circling back around uh, Iwani's work uh, and and the work of um, the both of the, the two of you, and um, maybe Louis, there's an invitation to talk about the role that you're doing within the Australian Institute of Architects, you know, to enable that discourse. Um, mm. But you know, I, I think there's something we were all the three of us were talking about before we got on air is um, potentially the, um, I don't know, the commonalities and, and perhaps, and perhaps the profound differences between, um, what we understand as context and what we understand as country. Um, anyway, so two, two, two probably open-ended invites for you, though, you're in to talk through.
1: Yeah. So I guess, um, yeah, it's a big question. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of the... Um, you know the the, the, the political and, and cultural shifts and pushes that are that are occurring right now. Um, you know what what we're trying to do is really um, for, for the for the competency um, to to be well and be above and beyond where it is right now in terms of um, how practitioners, how architects. How people working with the built environment practice are engaging with um, with country is is something that, that, that isn't being done. And, and, you know, country, how do you describe country? Um, it's almost indescribable. I think, um, you know, for different communities, there'll be common themes, but for, for different communities, no one can really pin it down to one thing. Um, but you know in terms of um the 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 relationship um and, and and your question around um context and country um you know i think i think how how we um it, it, for, for me it stems down to 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 values and to to values of reciprocity and relationality if as as a First Nations person, the the reasons why we have stood the test of time and, and been here for time immemorial is because of our our values towards um, towards place towards environment. Um, there's a there is the animate and inanimate objects um, towards. Um, tangible and intangible values we we have um the the, there is no hierarchy between the ways in which we live and operate and and the ways of being and, and knowing and believing is that we aren't um you know uh on top of country or we aren't um you know manipulating or extracting country but but where within it, and and how do we live within it, and operate within it in in its most ethical and meaningful and ongoing sense, um, is is really where um, you know the the cultural shift and cultural consciousness um, needs to to really be. Um, where we're not we're not just talking about sustainability in its in all its buzzwords, but but actually, how do we become in relationship with um, with all living entities, those that 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 are tangible, and those values and and, and, and that heritage that that has been there um, that is deep within the cellular memory of of, of our bloodline. Um, and and the, the the bloodline, which is the land as well. So really, um, it 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 takes a, a big cultural shift. And I think um, in terms of the work that the First Nations Advisory Working Group and Cultural Reference Panel are, are, are doing, you know, where it's a it's a mammoth. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different organisations and, and and bodies that are coming to us, and um, there's a lot of a lot of interest and appetite, um, and you know, I, re- I really see that there's um, not only an appetite but a, a, a will to not only learn but be aware and understand and and implement implement that understanding into practice. Um, how that how that manifests, um, um, I, I believe that um, you know, if if we do work in relationship with First Nations people and embed those voices in in ways that are actually ongoing and and create processes that don't don't initiate that that relationship just for the first instance of a design process, but you know, when we're talking about being in relationship with country and our um, our practice of, of you know every single material um, is country every place and space we walk through and with is 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 with country um, so how how do we become more in tune to our our inextricable relationship not only as indigenous people but everyone um, and and what that means in terms of in terms of materials in terms of m- procurement in terms of engagement processes in terms of you know uh, when when we when we do the handover what's what's the post occupational means of continuing that that ongoing relationship with um, with country um, and and with those custodians of country and how do, how do we how do we all become custodians you know I think I think there, there needs to be that that lens of of custodianship, and and that's not um, overriding the, the the traditional custodians and and the rightful indigenous sovereign owners of, of of these lands. But how do we all adopt those 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 values of stewardship and, and custodianship? Um, I I, I, th- I think there's there's a place for that, um, and I believe that you know, um, if, if we can't just jump into it, we, there, there has to be a process and, 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 you know, I, I see that, um, there's a lot of practitioners and a lot of people that are just asking how and asking, you know, where are the, you know, where, where are the guidelines? Where where are the where are the precedents? But it, I think the first the first thing is to really to really look at ourselves and look at our positionality, look at our privilege, um, and look within before we look outwards on on how how can we how can we do it? How can we apply it? How can we um, you know implement it into a project? The implementation phase is well, you know, fa- few like five, ten years ahead. I feel, in terms of creating that cultural shift within practice, an awareness um, and an understanding has to be first, and um, that'll take time. That'll take a lot of time, but um, you know, it, it's it's a process that. Um, is over a continuum of time, and and shouldn't be something that we we see in terms of a one, three, five year project, um, but but a omnipresent and and ever um, ever evolving um, time of, of learning and understanding. So, yeah, is it's it's been really good for for me as a young fella to to be involved on, on the board with, with such people as Dylan Combermeri, who's, who's doing amazing work within New South Wales, um, within designing with country and, and, and the framework that he's been implementing, um, as well as, you know, the likes of Carol Sam and Paul Mehmet, and Sarah Lynn Reese, and Michael Mossman, um, you know, and, and many, many other standout, um, leaders, um, so, yeah, just just really grateful to be a part of um, a part of that coming together, and and soon soon that'll be um, yeah that, that coming together will involve you know the whole profession to come together and come together in a way that we're we're doing it meaningfully and um, respectfully. Um, yeah,
3: it's interesting, the, the notion of time as well in our profession, you know, we sort of work to, uh, you know, periods of liability and then warranties and, you know, sort of, um, 10, 15, 20 year sort of brackets and that's about it, you know, and mm. all, you know, in at the very worst end of it, it's how, how long do I need to pay attention to this thing before it makes me the money that I want? And then I can walk away from it, you know, like much of the developments that we see. Um, and, you know, as you were mentioning, Louis, you know, that acknowledgement of, you know, custodianship um, would be such a special and um, it seems like such a apt way to really kind of, I guess, um, start to think about, you know, the meaningful long term impacts that we can have on um, on our on on country on on our built environment, uh, if you know we don't just think about buildings or you know any built structures having a lifespan that is you know purely the the lowest common denominator of whatever it might be you know say the the, the glazing or the door seal or whatever, but rather acknowledging that um, a piece of architecture has a a, a life that is possibly you know in you know could could go on forever given the right put in the right hands or set within the right frameworks um that would allow it to grow uh and so yeah i think that you know that sounds like a feel like time as a concept um just in the way we would approach it uh with the profession as it currently stands there's a lot to maybe be to learn there from um, uh first nations and indigenous perspectives on it
2: Mm. It um absolutely it it, re, it it rephrases the relationship of um of, of architecture and especially designers working in that space the uh, when you talk about reciprocity um, and you think you know if you think about positioning a building in a particular site in a fixed location for the next one hundred years is there an invitation to occupy that place and what and what do you give back for for doing that, you know, how do you? Um, what is the reciprocal exchange to the community and to country by saying I'm going to I'm going to park here for so long, and and by allowing me to do that, and, and this is you know, an invitation to country by allowing me to, allowing me to be here. Um, this is what, what this is what I'm going to give back. This is what I'm going to return to country um, in exchange for you know for me being built here for the next 100 years. There's a, there's an extremely different dialogue. Um, when design or the built environment is procured with that conversation rather than, Mikhail, as you were saying, the, the conversation around, well, am I going to be liable if this you know, breaks and hurts someone in the next seven years and that's my mm-hmm. motive for design or immediate profit? Um, the, you, you can imagine the design responses um, collectively over time um, you know, provide for a very different way of you know, living together and living within country. Yeah, and I think um, you know
1: honoring that relationship to, to support the health and well-being of country is something that you know if, if that was so fundamental and foundational to our projects and and our way of, of, of practicing and way of being then um, you know that that would that will create like how, how would how would you map out that process if that was a foundational thing um, to, to um you know to support the health and well-being and, and, and caring of country that is required um you know how how do you design that project in with that foundational value and and it, it would create yeah it's unprecedented ground um, in a lot of ways in terms of you know contemporary australia um, you know the the ways in which my ancestors and and, and people that have been here for tens of thousands of years have practiced that, um, that way of, of being for, for time and Um, but how can we, how can we bring that into, into present and, and, and future ways This is what I'm, what I'm curious about. And, and I think what, you know, the, yeah, where, where the drive and, and the ambition lies in terms of, um, how we propel this practice beyond, um, yeah, beyond um, you know joinery, and beyond you know just uh, form and, 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 and those those moments, those shots, the money shots that win you awards. Like how how do we how do we propel ourselves beyond awards towards a, an, an ethical way? Of um being in relation with one another, um I know awards are really good and 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 you 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 guys are really good at the edition office <laughs> soaking them up, <laughs> but um yeah I think I think that the the awards speak for themselves when 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 the work is has a lot of rigor, has a lot of integrity.
2: Thank you. That was such a good conversation. Um, and because we have, because we can, and I know she's listening, Ioanni, we love you.
3: <laughs> That's right, we do. <laughs> 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 thanks for bringing us together.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'd just like to, yeah, just really um, give, my, give my gratitude and, and, and thanks to, Iwani's like standout deadly work that that sets priests like I'm you know, in, in terms of she's creating her own genre um, of, of art practice that that is so so powerful and um, you know in terms of, of us um, coming together today I'd I'd like to yeah say my thanks to, to both of you. Um,
3: and yeah Let's continue the conversation.